the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And you know what, folks? That was precisely the problem with Old Testament Israel. God's covenant people were called to be a light to the Gentiles, to shine forth the light of truth and high moral standards of Scripture before an unscrupulous people, a pagan people, an immoral people. But instead of being a light to the Gentiles, they they actually, by their disobedience, not only hid the light, they actually disgraced God's name. And by and large, the church today is doing the same thing. Professor Howard Hendricks said that in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. But Jesus said that his followers are salt and light. What does that mean? How do we function as light? That's our subject today on Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff takes us a verse at a time through the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 and 15, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now maybe you're thinking, me? Light of the world? I'm just not that significant. Well, actually, you'd be surprised at just how significant you really are. Here's Pastor Steve now to continue. Never minimize or downplay the role that you have as light in the world, thinking that you're not very significant. What Whatever you do really doesn't have an impact. That's not true. There, And I want you to hear this carefully. There is absolutely no light in the world apart from the light that you provide as followers of Christ. There is no other light. There is no other light. When Jesus said that we are the light of the world, he meant that we as ordinary, common believers, we and we alone are the light of the world. Now let that sink in. There is no other light that he's put on display. We are the light of the world. And I would I would bring to your attention historically that when Jesus said these words, the famous and great philosophers of, of the Greek background of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and others just like them, they had all given their teaching. They had all spoken, and yet Jesus just just set that aside and said, that's not light. That's not important. He said to these, these Galilean peasants, you, not Plato, not Socrates, not Aristotle, you are the light of the world, not the distinguished minds of this world, not the, the eminent rabbis, not the great thinkers. You and you alone are the light of the world. You know what the Bible thinks about philosophy and philosophers? Well, let's look at, at 1 Corinthians. This is what, what Paul Great mind that he was. What Paul thought about philosophy and what God thinks about philosophy. Now, I'm using philosophy in the sense of, of not the revelation of God, but man's, man's theories and speculative thoughts and opinions. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And let me just say this. I think when, when Paul 
came to Corinth and wrote to the Corinthians, people thought that, that he would, would mix in philosophy with the gospel so that he would appeal to them. Paul did nothing of that nature. Paul never, though he knew philosophy, Paul never preached philosophy. Here's what he thought about philosophy. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, he wrote, it's the power of God. It may, what I preach may sound foolish to others, but it is God's power, he said. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I'll set aside. God says, all your clever philosophy, all your clever educational theories, I'll just set them aside. I'll set them aside. All that you do and speculate about how man came into being, all that, I just set it aside. And then Paul asked these rhetorical questions in verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The wisdom of this world is considered by God to be foolish. Why? Why is it so foolish? Verse 21, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. What Paul is saying is the reason that that philosophy is so irrelevant is because man has embraced it, but he still can't know God. So what? So he studies philosophy. So he knows the theories of the universe. So what? The world through its wisdom didn't come to know God. So what good is it? God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You have all of the great thinkers with all their philosophies telling you this is the meaning of life. And Paul just sets it aside and said, this message that is considered so foolish that a Jewish Messiah would pay for sin on a cross in an obscure place in the world outside of the city of Jerusalem all those years ago, God's going to take that message that sounds so foolish and silly and that's the message that will save you. That's what he says. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Paul, in just one sweep of his hand, sets aside man's wisdom. Where is the debater of this world? What difference does it matter? In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he said, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, at salvation, God has flooded our hearts with his light, which is the truth about God. You have it in you if you know Christ. You are the light of the world. Now he calls you to reflect and transmit his light to a dark world. Question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you shine the light of truth upon a culture that's engulfed in darkness? Well, that's what we're going to discover this morning as we get into our text. But let me mention once again and affirm as I did last week that letting our light shine upon men, just like being the salt of the earth, has absolutely nothing to do with wielding political clout or organizing protests or boycotting certain businesses and, and dealing with ungodliness in our society that way. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. There is nothing here that Jesus is referring to that has anything to do with, with politics. Jesus isn't teaching us to impose biblical values upon our culture by legislation. Like the metaphor of salt being light in a dark world has to do only with the way that we live with living out the Beatitudes, with being a certain kind of person. Notice there are no commands here except let your light shine. 
You don't have to do anything to become light. Just like you didn't have to do anything to become salt. You just are. By virtue of the fact that, that you're a believer in Christ, you are light. You are salt. But in telling us that we are the light of the world, Jesus didn't stop there. He very wonderfully gave us two important truths about how light functions. How are we to function as light? How do we function as light in a dark world? Well, that's what we want to see this morning. First, he tells us that as light, we need to be visible. And second, he tells us as light, we need to be useful. Visible, useful. Let's look at the first important truth about how light functions. As light, he tells us we need to be visible. Verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, Jesus is just giving a basic truism here. After telling his disciples that they and they alone were the light of the world, he he used a scene that would be very familiar to his Jewish followers, very familiar. And he did this in order to illustrate the important truth about light. He said that as the light of the world, we're to be like a city that's not hidden, but is on a hill so that it's not hidden from sight. A city on a hill, a city or a town or a village on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? That a village is visible to everybody in the surrounding area. You take a hill, you put a city on it, everybody around it sees it. And that was, that was very common in Israel. Cities in Israel were usually built on, on hills. And there were a number of reasons for that. One was because a city on a, on a hill was more likely to be cooled by, by sea breezes than a lower city. So they often built their cities higher and you would get the breeze from the Mediterranean. Secondly, cities built on hills uh, had certain advantages in defending themselves from invading armies. For one thing, you could see an army coming a lot easier when you're high in the air than when you're at ground level. And secondly, invading armies, I mean, it just makes sense, they would have a more difficult time of fighting uphill than fighting on level ground. So they put these cities on hills. Now, our Lord's point, though, in mentioning about a city on a hill uh, had to do with what happened at night. That's what he's talking about. At nighttime, the lights from the various homes would come out. It would come out, and it made the city visible to everybody around. Everybody could see it because there was just darkness, and then there's light. Um, this point just came home to me very vividly when we were in the Galilean area, in our trip to Israel, as we were touring, I heard our tour guide say the city on the hill that Jesus was talking about was that city right over there, Safad. Now, I had never heard, I, I was familiar with the city Safad, but I had never heard anybody say that, that that city was the one that Jesus was talking about, that very hill. So I, I asked our tour guide, I said, how can you be so sure that Jesus was referring to that city? He said, because that's the highest hill and that's the highest city in the whole Galilean area. And that city was in existence when, when Jesus spoke. It had a different name than Safad, but it was in existence. And so uh, just recently I went online to see how, how high is Safad? It's 3,200 feet just pretty high considering that that area doesn't have very high mountains. They have just, just hills. So Jesus was referring to the highest hill and the city on that hill that at nighttime especially would be visible to everybody. And if you've ever taken a trip to, to Israel, you would understand that in the Galilean area, it always amazes me because it's such a beautiful area, uh, it's, it's so dark at night. 
It's it just hope and pray that Disney never gets a hold of that area. It's so gorgeous. They would they would just corrupt it. They would, we would put condominiums there. We would have lights coming in and out and rides. Just hope that they never do that. But if you, as you go through that area, which is one of the prettiest places in, in the world, it's amazing how dark the Galilean area is. So when Jesus said a city set on a hill, if he was referring to Safad, it would be very obvious. Everybody could see it. You can't, you can't miss it. And that's the point that Christ was making. Just as the highest hill was visible for everyone to see and no one missed it, we as his light are to be visible for everyone to see. Nobody's to miss it that we're his light, that we shine forth for him. In other words, there's to be no secret disciples, no undercover Christians, like a hilltop village with its lights on, we're to be just as visible to everyone around us so that we stand out as distinct and as different. In other words, we are not to hide Christ's character in life. We're to let his character shine through us so that it's, it's obvious to non-Christians. Now, that's his point. Don't hide the light that you are. I think, though, it's important for us to stop and think about that because we do hide the light sometimes. How can we make sure that we're visible as the light of the world to the world? I mean, it makes no sense to be the light of the world and not be visible. How can we make sure that we're visible? Well, there are several ways. And by, by the way, what Christ is referring to is you go to verse 16. He's talking about our good works. Our good works. Let others know this. In verse 16 of Matthew, of Matthew 5, he clarifies this by saying, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and thus glorify your Father who's in heaven. So he's talking about beatitude-like living. Don't hide that from others. Let it be obvious to others around you. So how do we make it obvious? Number one, let me give you three ways we make it obvious that we are the light of the world and others can see us. First of all, for light to to function properly, we, we must, as Jesus said, be as citizens of his kingdom, be obedient. We must live out the Beatitudes. We, we have been given these inner character traits that make us stand out as distinct from those around us. Now, live it out. In other words, be obedient to the Scriptures. That, that's how you're light. You don't have to do anything. Just be what he says you're to be. Be obedient to his word. Live out these Beatitudes before a world that, that these qualities are just foreign. They're out of place. They're, they're so... They're so unworldly. If you live like this, the world will take notice. See, whenever we are disobedient to the word, we hide Christ's light. We hide his light. In the context of the the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, we would say whenever you're proud so that you're no longer poor in spirit, his light is hid. Whenever pride dominates, his light is hid. And that, by the way, is kind of everything, isn't it? Everything seems to come back to pride. Whenever you are insensitive and callous to your own sinful behavior, insensitive to what we're doing so that we're not, we're not confessing our sin, we're not repenting of our sin, when that happens, then we aren't mourning for our sin and thus we are hiding his light. Whenever you insist on getting your way so that you're no longer gentle, it's just about you, that's all. Then you hide his light. Whenever you lose your appetite for righteousness and you're stagnant, then you hide his light. Whenever you are indifferent to the pain of others so that you are not merciful, 
you don't care about other people, then you hide his light. Whenever your devotion to Christ is diminished so that you're more loyal to someone or something else before him, then you have hid his light. Whenever you're at odds with others, instead of being at peace with them, then you've hid his light. You see, all these character qualities have been given to you in order to put on display for Christ. They're not given to you to show off. They're not given to you to try to impress other people with how spiritual you are. They've been given to you in order for you to display none other than Jesus Christ. But if you're disobedient, then you are hiding the light of Christ from others. And you know what, folks? That was precisely the problem with Old Testament Israel. God's covenant people were called to be a light to the Gentiles, to shine forth the light of truth and high moral standards of Scripture before an unscrupulous people, a pagan people, an immoral people. But instead of being a light to the Gentiles, they they actually, by their disobedience, not only hid the light, they actually disgraced God's name. And I want you to see this. Romans chapter 2. It's important that you turn there. Romans chapter 2. In Romans 1, Paul has put the pagan world on trial and says, you have suppressed the truth that's in creation and nature by not responding to the light, by by rejecting revelation, the revelation of God. But now in chapter 2, he speaks about the Jewish person who did have the revelation of God. They had the law. They had the what's called the Torah. They had the, the Bible. What did they do with it? They suppressed the truth. How did they suppress the truth? By preaching one thing but living another thing, they suppressed it because they didn't obey it. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his word and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind. You see that? A light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. Do you see? There was a pride thing here. They, they exalted themselves as great scholars. Oh, they knew the Bible. Oh, they studied the Bible. Oh, they could help these poor, unenlightened Gentiles, what they would call the, the goyim, the, the uncircumcised, let me come along and help you. Paul says, "You there, verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? What hypocrisy. You who stand before them as enlightened teachers, what do you do with the truth? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now listen, you can easily substitute the name Christian for Jew. Do you bear the name Christian and claim to know God's will and obey it? And do you witness to non-Christians and tell them what God's word teaches? But in telling them the truth, do you practice the truth at work? Do you steal from your boss by not giving him a full day's work or by cheating on your tax returns? Do you tell others to remain sexually pure, but you aren't? You watch things you shouldn't watch. You look at pictures you shouldn't look at. You engage in immorality while telling others that this is wrong and you should never do this. And I know this because the Bible says it. Do you speak out against idolatry of other religions but refuse to be generous with your money because it has become your idol? You see what Paul is saying? The oozing of hypocrisy. Do you hold Bible studies in your home so that you can enlighten people? But you're not living 
the way that you tell others to live. That kind of hypocrisy, when carried on, does nothing but hide Christ's light from the view of others. Instead of enabling their Gentile neighbors to see God as perfect and holy, based on their own behaviors, they were to reflect God's holiness. The Jewish people's hypocrisy actually caused the Gentiles to to blaspheme God's name, to curse God's name because they said, look, if, if this is the way their God teaches them, they say one thing but live another way, why do that? At least we're not hypocrites. We're immoral, but we don't claim to, to be anything but immoral. They claim to be immoral and to teach us how to live, but they don't live like that. What hypocrisy? Their God must be absolutely nothing, and so they curse God's name. Folks, the, the application here is so obvious that I, I, I hardly need to go into this, but the same thing holds true for us. People evaluate our Savior based on the way we, we behave, don't they? People evaluate him. If you want your light, the light of Christ, to shine upon men, then you have to make sure that biblical standards permeate your life. In every area, there is no dichotomy between what you you say you believe and how you behave. There are no separate categories. You, You can't split your life between what you are at church and what you are at home at work and at work means that you must be absolutely ethical in all your business practices. You must be consistent in your moral life. You must make sure that your words are filled with grace and kindness to others. This is precisely what the Bible means by we are light shining in a dark place. In fact, look at Philippians chapter 2. And I I just heard the other day a great message on this from Rich Hines. But um, I want to say some of the things that Rich said, but also say some things in the verses before before this, because I think it all ties together. If you live like the Bible says you should live, then the world will take note that you're light. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Let's start there. Paul says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, so notice he's talking about obedience, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is saying, look, look, when I was with you, you were obedient. But now that I'm apart from you, I want you to have the same standards of obedience. Work out the salvation that's in you. Now, he's not saying work for the salvation, but salvation is in you. Work it out so that whatever is in you comes out in your behavior. And then he explains where the power comes and the desire to obey God. It doesn't come from Paul comes from God. He says in verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. A a Christian has desires to obey because God gives him those desires and he has the power to obey because God gives him the power. And then he says, and I think this is critical, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, where did that come from? You know what he's saying? You must obey and don't gripe about it. There are some Christians who, who will obey, but they will, uh, they will gripe and complain. Why has God put me in this situation? Why has this happened in my life? Yeah, I have to do it, but I don't want to do it. Yeah, I know what Scripture says, and I'm, I'm going through the motions. But Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is how God sovereignly and wisely what he's brought into your life. And when you do that, when you stop complaining and you accept God's will and you obey God's word, regardless of your circumstance, then the world takes note because he says in verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent 
children above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. The world will see who you are when you start behaving the way you should, especially when it's rough for you and you, and you stop complaining. When Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he didn't tell us to be witnesses. He promised that we would be witnesses. But we do have to decide what kind of witnesses we will be, don't we? Ones who glorify him or ones who shame him. Let's not hide the light that Jesus has placed within us. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is guiding us through the Sermon on the Mount in Chapter 5 of the Book of Matthew. If you'd like to visit Lakeside sometime, the address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Today's program was the middle of a three-part sermon that's part of a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. If you missed any of the previous broadcasts, they are available for free on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Do you ever wonder why we keep living in these sin-cursed bodies after we've been saved? Why doesn't Jesus just take us straight to heaven? Well, because he has work for us to do. Our job is to make him look good. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will have more to share about our purpose in living. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.